Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why is this happening to me again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, We would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. 
Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see it, turn on the microphone, and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if you do that, we will address your comment, question, answer, or testimonial on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your input or feedback. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it much, much easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that is just a whole lot easier to do when people give us feedback about what's working for them and how. And... I I see there's a hand up. I will get to that in just a minute. I, I I've mentioned for quite a while now that you can email us and uh, ask a question, and somebody did that. Somebody emailed and asked a question about the emotional, uh, not emotional, EMDR as a treatment modality. And EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And the question was, do I know of it? Do I use it? Is it in alignment with the tools that we present on MindShifters Radio and in the MindShifters support groups? And um, is it a therapy that I recommend? Does it dovetail with the worksheet and forgiveness work? Is it a nice and usable fit? And all that good stuff. So I will briefly say that, yes, I use EMDR. I'm trained in it at two different levels. I have used it for many years. It is one of the tools that I find very helpful for people who've been through a trauma. It's also a nice adjunct for therapy if there have been some unresolved issues that don't even seem to be related to trauma, but in the context of someone who's got a a working theory about emotions and relationships and thoughts, it can be a very useful tool. It also fits within the the construct of um, what's now being called coherence therapy, And um, it fits within that construct because coherence therapy as a model is non-pathologizing. In other words, it does not uh, give people a diagnosis and treat them as though they're ill. The fundamental observation in coherence therapy is that everything you do, you've got a good reason for doing you will have a coherent and emotionally based reason, at least an emotionally based reason for everything you do. 
And in that work, anything that we can do to assist a person in clarifying what might be driving their choices to do any certain behavior, even if it's something that they say they don't want to do and perhaps they're coming into therapy to get help to stop doing it. They call it a symptom or a problem. Essentially, once you help a person uncover what it is in their own emotions and dynamics that makes it important for them to continue to do something, then they can decide for themselves, will they keep doing it and simply relabel it as a useful coping mechanism, or will they just have much greater ease in stopping because now they understand that there's a different way for them to meet the need that they were meeting by using this particular behavior or pattern. So the emotional um, freedom technique, EFT tapping, the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing technique called EMDR, the neuroemotional technique, and a series of other simple, like Michael Rice's reality management worksheet, Byron Katie's worksheet, Diedrich Wolzak's worksheet, all of these worksheets fit within the model of coherence therapy because the assumption is that when we uncover how or why we were doing whatever we were doing, the need to do it that way dissipates. Perhaps we find a, a different, more sophisticated, more personally and relationship-based pro productive way of meeting the need, then we're free to move forward in a different way. So let's say that, you know, I'm five years old and I get scared and I don't want to do something my parents tell me I should do. And at that level, at five years old, maybe the only thing I know to do out of my fear is throw a tantrum. And it worked. You know, for whatever reason, I threw a tantrum and my parents said, okay, okay, calm down. We don't have to do that. Well, whether I know it or they know it or not, I might have just locked myself into a pattern of throwing a tantrum when I don't want to do something that, that is um, connected with me generating fear. So then I get to be 45 years old and somebody says, hey, let's go do something, and I throw a tantrum, and it's costing me relationships, it may cost me jobs, and I go to a therapist to try and uncover, you know, why am I doing that? And they don't, they're not trying to change the symptom. They're not trying to help me stifle my anger or my tantrum or my fear. They're there to help me shine a light on how are all of these thoughts, patterns, emotions, and behaviors connected? And how did I download a belief that says, if I get scared about doing something, the most productive thing for me to do is to throw a tantrum. 
And if I can see that from a, a more mature adult perspective and I get access to my adult coping mechanisms, I might be able to navigate life far more productively without ever having to throw a tantrum again. So they're not trying to change the symptom. They're trying to help me understand what is the fundamental, emotionally-based, implicit knowing that I believe this tantrum is going to help me achieve this protective mechanism or this, you know... um, directive mechanism in my life and EMDR is one of those techniques that I use on a regular basis and it just helps people get in touch with energies and patterns that bypass the conscious logical mind and get access to what's hidden in the unconscious just like the reality management worksheet does when I map out in the first three steps of the reality management worksheet what my mind is telling me and why it's rationalizing that I should be angry or I should be sad or I should be scared or I should be depressed or I should be anxious. And once I map that all out and I figure out what my mind is telling me should be happening and then I cancel all of that, put it aside for now and ask to be shown the hidden part of my mind, it's very much the same process that happens with EMDR where we hold certain aspects of a memory and then we just sit with alternating left side of the brain right side of the brain stimulation and watch what bubbles up and get insights to the hidden and the unconscious material that way and it tends to be quite productive so that's the answer to that question i will turn on the microphone for area code 610 this is susan hi dr tim yes it is um I listened to your interview of Ardashir Meiren, the man who wrote, You're Not Depressed, You're Unfinished. I don't have the title in front of me. I, I think that's it. Was it. fantastic. Yeah, and it's right along. I lost you. It's what? Susan Bingham, are you there? Hello, 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 hello. Susan Bingham, are you there? It says you're there. Susan Bingham, are you there? Hi. Yeah, I've been here all along. I I dialed back in because you were saying, are you there, are you there? And I was saying, I'm here, I'm here, but you couldn't hear me all of a sudden. Yeah, I saw you hang up and and dial back in, so. Oh, you did that too? Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I was was stuck in in the twilight zone. So anyway, you were saying that you listened to the interview with Dr. Ardashir Marin, yeah. And the title of his book is You're Not Depressed, You're Unfinished. And that's all I heard. Okay. Well, I, I loved the interview. I liked his work. It's another one of those things where they don't diagnose and medicate. They actually go into your life and find out why your somewhat seemingly maybe maladaptive behavior had a purpose and that you no longer need that maybe. I love that. I liked it so much, too, because my son's been 
uh, off and on depressed since he was a teenager, I sent him the interview and I sent it to a friend uh, who has been telling me about his depression that's been pretty intense and it might just help. So I did have a question about it. I'm very interested in the fact that he listens to the story we tell, whereas I've been wary of hearing any client's story more than a few times, depending on the context, because a story can be used as an excuse to remain a victim in a situation. But he's doing something with the body in connection with that, and I didn't understand what he was talking about. And wondered if you could explain that or whether I should just get the book and read it. Well, so here's the idea, is that he lets people tell their story and wants them to tell their story, but he wants to be very tuned into their physical body responses, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic responses, with the hope that this would be the last time they need to tell their story that way. And that if they can get an insight into what their own body is doing, they might find that there is trauma energy stuck in their neck or their head or their foot or whatever. And the, you know, the whole, he, he was talking about somatic therapy. And again, somatic means of the body. Soma is the word for body. I think it's in Latin, but whatever language it's from, Body-oriented therapies, and I, I, I talked about this because I, I did an interview with Dr. Patricia Ogden or Pat Ogden, who was one of the pioneers in that field and um, was at least one of the founders of the um, – uh, well, it, it's um, – the name's evading me right now, but it's something like the Somatic Psychotherapy Institute. It's out in Denver. Mm -hmm. And they take very, very close observations of a person while they're talking, and they notice change in skin color, change in breath rate, little movements of the fingers or the shoulders or a tightening of the shoulders, a shift in the posture, and they use it to bring the person's awareness to these subtle shifts that are indicating there is a fundamental energy in the body that's responding when they talk about this thing or that thing. Mm -hmm. And so he uses a lot of that in his work. Well, and that makes steps total through sense. Exercises. He steps them through exercises of mindfulness and body awareness, and so you were saying that makes total sense. Well, it does make sense. We have minds and we have bodies. <laughs> it never occurred to me to be that attentive to what the body is doing. Sometimes when I'm working with somebody, I'll see something that's very obvious, but obviously his his uh, antennae are tuned very sensitively. He watches very carefully 
wonderful. It's exciting kind of work. But I I wanted to have you mention the the interview on the radio show because it's just terrific. It's wonderful. Uh, his work, his way of finding his way, is so personal with his own story about his mother and how he managed to find his way to doing something he loved, which is important, and then have it be so beneficial for other people. Well, I'm I'm trying to look up here as we're talking about it. The um, the interview with Dr. Pat Ogden, so I can come up with the. Uh, it was um, published in 2021, March of 2021. Mm-hmm. And. Um, it's titled How Your Body Helps with Trauma Resolution with Dr. Pat Ogden. So that's also mm. available on the um and so here's the name of her institute, the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. Mm-hmm. Abbreviated SPI, Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. It's a body centered treatment for unresolved trauma. And um so that and Dr. Artisher's book, uh, you know, when people have these great ideas and they go to write a book, they've got to come up with some kind of a title, and they maybe mm-hmm. they get guidance from a publisher, you know, to try and get published. He's basically what I, you know, the book talks about what I would call um, emotional needs, right? But he mm-hmm. relabels them as your emotional Bill of Rights. Yeah. And, and maybe he had to do that for publishing reasons or whatever, but it's very solid work that integrates mm. the same kind of thing that they do at the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute and any somatic therapy work, body-oriented work, and um, and he's been in the field for a lot of years, working and studying and doing research and coming up with patterns that he sees in therapy and then just trying to make it available to people in a, in a slightly mm-hmm. different format so you can read the book for yourself and get some ideas or, you know, take it to a therapist and say, hey, do you do this kind of work and can you help me in this deeper way? I don't want to just stop doing a symptom, I want to understand what's going on in my mental, emotional, and body energy field that Mm -hmm. makes me think this isn't a good thing to do, even though I don't like the results I'm getting. Yeah. Well, coming from the other end, I have had family members who have been on medications for years, and the symptoms aren't they may be dulled for a while but over years the symptoms seem to come back the issues are there the issues haven't gone away so this just makes total sense and it's also so hopeful one of the arguments i get from family members well it's chemical i i you know i inherited this chemical imbalance and i'm i'm living with it and that's the end of that I just have to live with it. 
I won't accept that. And you're allowing those people who wonder, is that all there is? Is that all the options? Are those the only option we have? All of this kind of work shows us other options and makes us much more proactive in our own healing. Take a pill and you think the pill's going to do it. Well, and you know, if you think about it from a more deep, broad-range perspective, you might say holistic perspective, there's a certain amount of truth to the fact that when they act in a certain way, it means certain chemicals are trading places in different ways in their brain and body. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. And what is also true is that when I think a certain pattern of thought... that changes the chemistry in my body and my brain. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I sit and think angry thoughts and pour my mind energy into it, it changes the energy, and we say the sensation, the physical sensation, changes the blood flow, changes electrical activity in my brain and body, Mm-hmm. So they're not separate. So in a certain way of talking about it, those people are correct. And yet yeah. it's like, you know, it, you look at something like a car and it has to have some, you know, an internal combustion engine. It's got to have the right mixture of oil, gas, air, and a spark at just the right time combined with a certain amount of pressure so, you know, the, the valves have to be sealed and everything on the pistons. And, and and so you look at that whole system and you say, well, my car isn't running well. So I decided to adjust the carburetor, period. Yeah. And it seems to run better. So I'm just going to keep adjusting the carburetor every time. But the problem that makes the car not run so well might have something to do with the air and fuel mixture, might have to do with the quality of the fuel, might have to do with the spark timing being off, it might have to do with, you know, the oil's not lubricating it properly, so there's causing friction. might be that there's a gap around the rings that's letting pressure out. And if all you do is you just keep adjusting the carburetor every time the car doesn't run well, pretty soon the engine's going to not work at all. Right. And that, that's one way to look at if people have depression or anxiety and they just go take a medication, mm-hmm. that's that's like just doing one little thing on a car without checking all these other things and without keeping it in balance from a, a holistic or a functional perspective. Right. So as you know, as some people say, it's not wrong because they seem to be functioning better. And mm-hmm. or they're not suicidal, and or they aren't so anxious that they can't get on the plane. And yet, mm-hmm. if all I do is take a pill to calm my anxiety every time it gets, you know, brought to the surface, I never get any resolution. I don't move. I don't grow. I don't understand myself better. I don't feel stronger and better about my ability to cope with life. Right. So it's an option, but it has mm-hmm. its drawbacks. Right. It's limitations.
So that's what I would say about that. Okay. Thanks. Anything else? No, I'm just going to listen, but thanks for doing that wonderful talk. I think I listened to it very early this morning, and it was just my brain was right, ripe and ready to hear all that. Really good, good interview. Well, I'm in the process of, I'm waiting for a response. I'm, I've invited Dr. David Gruder to do another interview. I interviewed him back about three years ago now. Mm-hmm. And he's a psychologist basically my age. He was an organizational psychologist and a clinical psychologist. And he has been working in various fields um, for a good long while. And he now has a podcast titled The One Thing, abbreviated T-O-T, And episode 48 of The One Thing is titled, Eradicating Evil is an Inside Job. Mm. And it's a 36-minute discussion with him and and a female whose name isn't showing up here right away, Lori Morse. And so... Dr. David Gruder mm-hmm. and Lori Morse, M-O-R-S-E, mm-hmm. have a podcast titled The One Thing. And if you go listen to that, I'll I'll give it as an option for people in the support group tonight and or Thursday. <laughs> I'd love your uh, feedback, anybody who's listening, because I see, I hear in that work, so many similarities it's it was mind boggling yeah. and it's the kind of thing that he didn't talk about 3 years ago when we were doing our initial interview he talked more about systemic things and and i my questions were about what tools do you have to help people find a better therapist etc but now what they talk about in that podcast is it could be an episode of the Mind Shifters Radio. It could be uh, what, what we do on uh, the Mind Shifter support groups on any given night. They talk about sin as energy off the mark. They talk about um, Satana, Satana, um, the devil is not an outside entity. It's you know uh, the the misleader, the misdirector. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. it, there were so many ways that w- it was just clearly we've been dipping our fingers into the same source material. Mm. And, so this and isn't it's just an interview a, you did. No, this right. is this his is own. Talking. This is his discussion with Lori Morris. And okay. I have now invited him to come back and, you know, hey, let's talk more about this stuff, right? Because this is right. just what we're reading in the way of mastery. It draws inferences. He, he likes the analogies of um, the force from Star Wars. 
it's just life energy. You can use it for evil. You can use it for good. He Great. he talked about um, people doing evil. It, he, I think he's probably read the the M. Scott Peck book. Oh yeah, the mm-hmm. people of the lie, where right. M. Scott Peck puts forward the theory that people only do evil things as a result of running away from their own internal pain, fear, or sadness. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, Laurie, Laurie Morse in this thing says, so what she does is she looks at and she recognizes she is scanning her mind-body energy system for any indication that she's judging somebody. That judgment is wrong, even if they're doing mm-hmm. something that's hurtful to somebody else. And, and she's watching for the indication that she's judging somebody, and then she starts talking to the one thing inside of her, the one thing is God, light, love, all that is, energy of creation, whatever you want to call it. And at mm-hmm. one point in the podcast, they say, it doesn't matter what you call it, just call it, right? Call on it. Ask for guidance or support. That's amazing. From something above your conscious logical self. And she says when she notices that she's in judgment, she starts calling on the one thing, inside her for help in mm. looking at it a different way, reframing this, seeing this as a oh, person in pain. Amazing. It's just mm. like the way of mastery in lesson three saying, yeah. you know, you have the option of seeing this brother or sister as someone who doesn't understand their complete ability to get whatever they need without hurting somebody else. It's the insane way of looking at it, as our culture would say, where you can see that these are people they just don't understand that this is a cry for help and healing. This is not an indication that there's somebody in front of me that needs to go to jail or needs to go to hell for eternity. Or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is a podcast? Yes, it's a podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah, you just look for David Gruder, Mm-hmm. T-O-T, or the one thing, and it'll come right up. Okay, great. And if you're not, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't like going at those things through your podcast feed, you can go to uh, I think it's titled the one thing podcast.net and if oh, you don't want okay. to type out the one thing you can just put tot podcast.net okay and it'll take you to their web page specifically for that podcast thanks I'm eager to hear it you're quite welcome and deserving and you know, for me, it's just just another kind of an uplifting uh, mm. piece about how more and more people are coming to the same kinds of conclusions, mm-hmm. and it's getting put out there more and more freely in all of these different venues and podcasts and blogs and things like that. And a lot of people are understanding that sin is not this deep moral thing or a transgression against God, it's energy that's off the mark and 
he even uses the Hebrew word for Satan or Satana and starts talking about it as though, you know, he's not just looking at the English history with the word, he's looking back at the Hebrew word roots. Mm. Great. I like that he brings that dimension in. You know, it's funny, it's synchronous that this last Sunday's lectionary in the Episcopal tradition was the casting out of a demon, a man who was uh, possessed. And the demons were cast out and uh, the sermon our rector gave, he's, it was fantastic. But I like bringing that in because so many of us were brought up in the Judeo-Christian culture where we're just riddled with all sorts of preconceived notions that sit in our in our in us without our even realizing how they affect us. Yep, it's just a it's a conditioning, it's a brainwashing, it's a teaching, it's a you can you can give it different words, but you know, if this is all we've ever been exposed to, then we don't know the difference. It's mm. like pick any any particular news outlet, if you just watch one news outlet with a certain particular bent for your, you know, religious preference or your political preference or your gender preference, then you're not going to get a broad picture. True. You're going to be, you're going to be basically a prisoner of your own mind and thought. You're going to think you know and understand things that you've got no concept of. Mm-hmm. That is true. <clears throat> well, I'm going to sign off. I'll be listening, but All carry right. on, well, Dr. Kim. I, I hear just a little of the scratchiness in your throat. It sounds much, much better than it did last week, so keep up the <laughs> good work and the healing. Thanks. And, um, thanks, thanks for that question and for the... Uh, kind of a testimonial about the most recent podcast on the On Your Mind podcast from Journey's Dream. Blessings. Blessings to you too. Thanks, Dr. Kim. So, we had the call from Susan and we've had some difficulties with our technology and we've answered a question from email from Michael on the EMDR, that's the eye movement desensitization reprocessing technique, and um, so we have plenty of time for comments or questions. I was just having difficulty with the switchboard getting it to let me type in Susan's name. So we, um, we've we had some glitches. We've had some gaps in our show today, and hopefully it's just a temporary thing. 
So the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. Today is a, a Tuesday, so there will be a support group tonight. All the information you would need to join us there absolutely free is available on MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And if my memory is serving me correctly, yesterday we finished reading Lesson 9 in the Way of Mastery that has a, a challenging title for a lot of people, and that title of the lesson was All Events Are Neutral. And just when you think the challenging titles are done, the next one is just as triggering for a lot of people. The next lesson, Lesson 10, is titled, The Way is Easy and Without Effort. Now just think about it. Think about the kinds of people who come looking for help into a therapy office and or uh, a support group like Mind Shifters or Mind Shifters Radio how many of those people do you think have had the experience that their life is easy and without effort, that the way to improve their life is easy and without effort? If you're like me, your experience will be zero. Nobody comes into therapy and wants to hear, oh, by the way, your life should be easy and without effort because they've been struggling for decades most of the time by the time they get into therapy unless their parents are bringing them in. So here we have a potential trigger right in the title of this lesson. And so I will remind us once again, as I am wont to do quite often in this work, please just notice any tightness, any tension, any resistance, any irritation, any negative emotional state that you might experience as we start working with this lesson titled The Way is Easy and Without Effort. And notice how it lands for you that it's coming on the heels of a lesson titled All Events Are Neutral. There are many, many people who will argue vociferously that all events are not neutral and that the way is not easy. It requires what our Western culture would ask us to believe. You have to put your nose to the grindstone and you've got to work hard and play hard. So lesson 10, the text reads, Beloved and holy children of light and love divine, as always, I come forth to abide with you from that place which we share eternally as the one and only begotten offspring of the Creator. And therefore, I am therefore that mind, capital M mind, that mind which whispers to you in each moment of your inspiration. I am indeed that mind that sneaks into your mind in the space between two fearful thoughts 
once there, I remind you of the capital T truth that sets you free. Once I was a man that is just like you. I once turned my attention and became identified with a unique being that has that was birthed in time and faded away from time. And I walked on your plane as all men and women do. And yet as I walked upon your plane, I began to ponder the meaning of creation, the purpose of my very existence. And while others seemed to be gleefully caught up in or at least surrendered to the ways of the world, as in seeking out their momentary distractions and their attempts to gain and control as much wealth as they could, and all of the rest, as they would do that, I would often wander off alone. I would sit beneath the trees, beside a flowing stream, to try to unlock the mystery that shows forth itself as the beauty of a flower, to try to see the power that revealed itself as the wind that would dance across the grasses. Or I would try to count the sparkling diamonds shimmering across the surface of a lake as the morning sun arose to shine its light upon it. I began to learn to ask of that source that mystery the following question father father mother god one that has birthed me source of all things energy of life why am i where am i who am i And my desire increasingly became to know the truth that could set all mankind free. I discovered that unless that freedom became fully manifest in me, it made no sense to talk about it with others. So I sought out the greatest of minds, the best of teachers. And yes, I was blessed by a family structure that was already dedicated to understanding the mysteries of what they knew as God or the creation. They led me to many such teachers. As my own wisdom began to evolve, the teachers would look upon me and say to one another, quote, something interesting is occurring here in this son of Joseph, close quotes, but there were already those who knew more about me than I knew yet about myself. These people were prophets and seers, astrologers, and the wise ones of many cultures. They knew already that into the framework of the consensus mind of mankind, which you call the collective consciousness, there was to be dropped a pebble. Into that still clear pool a pebble that would create ripples that would begin to change how consciousness of mankind, humankind, perceived itself. I did not yet know these things for myself, 
for my very birth into this world was veiled in mystery for me, just as your birth was veiled in mystery for you as you took on being human. As I grew, as I began to have revealed to me in the depth of my silent prayer and in the depth of my very silent meditation, glimmers, insights, recognitions, and remembrances of other dimensions. I began to develop the ability to be in communication with masters of my lineage who had long since left the planet. I began to understand that consciousness is not limited to the space and volume of a body at all. So, as I walked and watched the people in their busy work, I began to see that the vast majority of beings totally confused their true nature themselves with their body. They lived as if they dwelt within the body, and therefore they were imprisoned in some strange way. They lived as if what occurred to the body occurred to them. They lived as if they did not know that they could transcend the body at any moment, that they could taste the vast expanse of consciousness, that they could journey to other times and places with little more than a surrendering of attention to the world they had made. At first, I did not understand these things, and I perceived myself to be quite odd. Within me, there were conflicts as the fears in my consciousness arose, the fears that are part of the human consensus reality. And I had thoughts like, quote, shall I remain like everyone else? Perhaps I should return to my father's carpentry shop and simply accept that I'm destined to be just another carpenter, close quotes. However, there were other voices that spoke to me and called to me that would come often in the night. As I developed my ability to discern those other realities, these other dimensions, by shifting my attention from the world of the body to the world of the inner vision, often they would come in the night and stand beside my bed. I came to know who they were. I came to recognize the masters and teachers of a very ancient lineage of which I was a part. They would come and they would whisper to me things like, forget not the purpose for which you are sent forth from the mind of the Creator. For through you there shall be birthed the beginning of an ancient remembrance. And your life shall become that which demonstrates to many the truth that only love is real. The point of all this is simple. I want to convey to you yet again that the life I lived as a man was not unlike your very own. I too began life veiled in mystery, a child among children, 
a human being struggling to make sense of his world. Yes, there was within me something calling, longing to know something that the world did not seem to teach. But think about it. Isn't that true for you as you listen to this book? Would you even be listening to Mind Shifters Radio or somebody reading the way of mastery or reading the way of mastery yourself if you didn't feel the same kind of a call, the same kind of dissatisfaction with the everyday humdrum for pursuit of physical wealth and status in life, etc.? Is it not true that many of you have felt the same call, the same longing to touch what is invisible, to see what cannot be seen, to hear what ears have never heard, to embrace what arms cannot reach, to abide in perfect peace and perfect trust? Beloved friends, understand well I say to you yet again, I come only as your brother and your friend, one who has has walked as you walk, one who has breathed as you breathe, one who has cried as you cry, one who has laughed as you laugh. I am as you are. If there be anything that I can give unto you, It is simply this. As you look upon your life and every event that unfolds within it, every time you feel that you have failed, every time that you become conflicted, every time that you are sure that you will never be able to transcend all of these ups and downs and emotional waves that seem to come with living in your world, please remember this. I have overcome the world, and because I have done it, it is done for you already. Why? Because we share the same infinite field of mind that far transcends all levels and all dimensions of manifestation. You can tap into what has already occurred. You need only look upon me as your brother and friend and acknowledge that the world has been overcome and then accept the freedom, which is the effect of its overcoming, and just accept it as your own. so that you learn to sit in your chair after your five minutes of abiding as Christ, in which you say to yourself, quote, Here I am free. Heaven is now. This day I commit myself to teaching only love. I do that by sharing only loving thoughts. This one day I will look upon each one that comes into my experience and I will first breathe deeply the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the one mind, the presence of whatever you want to call it. 
the collective consciousness, the Christ mind, the divine mind, God, light, love. Breathe in that presence and then look out through the eyes transformed by the simple acknowledgement of the following truth. All minds are joined and I see not a stranger before me, but I see one who walks as I walk, one who feels as I feel, one who longs as I long, one who is humbled as I am humbled, and one who prays for peace as I have prayed for peace. Therefore, in that next moment, I will give them what they seek. I will extend the energy of creation, the peace, the compassion, the awareness of our true nature and our connection, and in giving it, I receive it. So as I went through this book the last couple of times, I talked about how there are exercises where it says, here, five minutes a day, do this. Five minutes every hour, just wake up and remind yourself that you are creating your experience. And then five minutes a day, sit in a chair as the awakened Christ. These are specific exercises. But here's one. That, to my eye and ear, I don't know how many times I read this book. I never saw this as an exercise. And then one day I read it and I thought, oh, this is an exercise. This is a suggestion. Each moment. Every day when I encounter anybody in front of me, I can first ask the presence of the Holy Spirit to be awake in me. And then when I look at the person in front of me, I'll see somebody who's just like me. I'll see a, a being of brilliance and light, regardless of whether or not they recognize it. I will see whatever comes out of them as either their extension of their awareness of their true nature as a being of brilliance and light, or I will see it as a cry for help and healing. So there's another exercise. Try that. Every time you encounter anybody, take a breath, ask the one mind, the Christ mind, the Holy Spirit, to show you how to see the person in front of you as a fellow traveler, as somebody who is just like you, somebody who longs for peace and extend the peace of the one mind, the Christ mind, to them in that moment. So that's all I'll read tonight, today. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate you. And You're I did welcome. put a link in for the uh, uh, David Gruder and, and Laurie Morris podcast into the notes for today. All right. Thank you so much. Awesome. Blessings. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Tuesday, January the 30th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563 563- Nine 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 three five eight one, and press one, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. 
give Michael a moment to dial in and we'll continue. I think we are on day 12 of the Enlightenment study. A couple of days we didn't um, particularly uh, focus on the Enlightenment, but we did talk about the Aramaic and people called in and had questions and that's awesome. And uh, we always want to address, you know, whatever is up for you, whether it's seems to be on topic with with where we're going or not, uh, you make the show, and we appreciate you. And you can pick up the archives to the show. I created a page called Enlightenment Study. You can click on, if you go to whyagain.org and click on the Kaboris link, underneath it you'll see just one that says Enlightenment that talks about the book. And then there's also links about the Kaboris and the pictures and different things like that. And then there is a link that says Enlightenment Study. And that's where you'll find the archives for this show. And Michael has joined us. So I am going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're with us. Once again, to move forward in this standing and understanding is almost an, an inappropriate word. It's something that uh, most of the world pushes us toward. And yet, thinking that the mind can understand something is like thinking your computer understands anything. Your computer can spit out all kinds of data, whatever data you put in it, but does the computer understand when you say 2 plus 2 and it spits up 4, that it means 4? Does the computer have any comprehension of that? And, you know, we've been taught that the mind is the uh, the end-all and the be-all. But truth can't be known by the mind. It can only be experienced by the being. You know, when you have, you know, people call it a spiritual experience. Things open. And great insight comes. And the next day you turn to a friend to explain that insight, and you're speechless because there's nothing to say. There's nothing the mind can comprehend about what just happened. It's just a storage device for the past. Now, the chapter in the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, speaks about the has-been. And that's what the mind is. It's a has-been. So... The mind is always striving to know, to know, to know, to know. The title of my book, Why Is This Happening? The mind wants to know why. The object of the book is not to get people to understand why. The object of the book is to understand the device through which they're trying to understand why, make corrections in the device so the device supports the being experiencing what's true turn to your friend and you told him about you started telling him about that spiritual experience and, and the words just weren't there and you your your mind made a feeble attempt to explain the experience and yet the reason the attempt is so feeble is is because the experience is so enormous that the mind can't even start to contain it so our objective here is going to be to build brain cells so that the mind supports us in following the one thing the mind can be given, and that is the directions for correction. So 
the practice of the tools leads one to an experience called healing. And one of the primary practices that we're heading for is to recognize who we are as human beings. And as we've said several times, the, the uh, key words that lead one to this experience in Aramaic turned backward by the mind, the Greek mind trying to understand it and trying to explain it. So virtually every key word is turned backward. So the objective here is to, to develop the brain cells, to bring correction to the mind, and then practice the tools that lead directly to this experience of being. So to, to have this experience, and you know, if we, if we were to use an analogy, you know, when we talk about healing, the, and I've, I've shared this several times over the years on the show, and it bears repeating here again as we move deeper and deeper into the Aramaic understanding. Hopefully we do. Into the, the, the pardon me, I should say more correctly, language is interesting. I should say more correctly, moving to the experience of being and utilizing the tools that disable the mind's ability to block that experience. Great line in The Course of Miracles. You need not seek for love. You do not only seek, find, and release. I, I, I Actually, the quote is, you need only seek the barriers, but to seek and forgive the barriers to the experience of yourself as the presence of love. And again, that experience is so enormous, it doesn't fit in the mind. And the healing process is one where, where there are disintegrative energies in the mind. In Aramaic, the word that described those disintegrative energies was sin, an archery term that simply means off the mark. And, you know, I go back 35 or so years ago where a major piece of understanding of the process was handed to me. We were doing an intensive. Had a fairly large group, somewhere around 50 or so people, and there was a person that was in a major, major, obvious, traumatized and had lived in that traumatized state for decades. And during the intensive, there was this shift that happened for that person that was just like, like everybody could see it. You know, it was just like, whoa, what just happened? And of course, I'm working to understand, try to get my mind to understand what just happened? How did that happen? What occurred? Why did this person out of the 50 or so in the room get this magnificent healing? Why did the, the woman with the issue of blood who says, I, I know I only need to touch the hem of Yeshua's garment, not about touching a piece of cloth, but getting into a, a field, an energy field of love that could vitalize the love in her, that could strengthen her experience. Why did only she of the whole crowd that was gathered around heal? And what I was told in that experience as I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm working to grasp this. And what I was told was that for healing to occur, that is the dissolution or the forgiveness of aberrant energy, sin, energies that are off the mark from the human structure, whether those things are stored in the, what we call the mind or the brain, whether they're stored in tissue, whether they're stored in the genes, what needs to happen, two things need to occur. 
that aberrant hidden energy, that which is relegated to the unconscious, that which is hidden, and we all have mountains and mountains. You know, Carl Jung calls it the shadow work, moving into the dark side of the mind and bringing that side of the mind fully present to the, to the light. And so what I was shown in that moment was that two things had to occur. Love had to be conscious, active, and present. And that which was hidden in the unconscious, hidden in the mind or in the body, had to come forward directly rather than being projected into one's brain's image of another. So remember the cycle of denial, dissociation, projection. What is denial? When I think or speak as though something moving inside of me is caused by something outside of me. Certainly the things inside of me can be triggered by someone outside of me, but they are not caused by anyone outside of me. But when I think or speak as though they are, then I'm in denial. And when, when I'm in denial, I've dissociated from that piece of content in my own mind. Whatever the real cause is of what it is that I'm experiencing that I don't want to experience, by denial, by in essence saying to the mind, mind, show me that Bill's the reason I'm feeling this rather than because of something in me, I have to dissociate from that content in my own mind. I have to deeply hide it from myself. I cut myself off from it. I no longer have access to it. And when I do that, the act of dissociating from it, the act of pressing it down, intensifies it, presses it energetically out into the world. You know, you've heard me use the example before of, let's imagine I've got a three-foot diameter spring that's three feet tall and it's sitting there on the floor. Can it do anything? No. But what if I go over and I push down on it and I lock it down? And I push down on it, and I spend years and years and years, perhaps generations, pushing that spring down and locking it. And finally, I undo the lock. What happens? All of that potential energy in the spring flies into action. So when I'm in denial and dissociation, and if I come from a long line of deniers, that is people who are members of the one world religion of blame, when something painful happens inside of them, the conversation's always about somebody else. Look what you did to me. That's the act of denial. Causes dissociation. And that energy, the more I dissociate from it, the more I press down on it, the more I energetically push it out into the world. I've shared before a conference that I went to. I used to keynote at a conference called Global Science out in Colorado and in Florida. And this goes back 30 or so years ago. And a gentleman named Marcel Vogel was keynoting at the conference as well. And Marcel bought a, brought a thing to the, to the conference called a Delaware camera. And it was a camera with which he could take a picture of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. This was some of Marcel's latest research toward the latter end of his life. In his early life, at the age of 11, the kind of mind Marcel had was that he is the man who invented chemical light. You know, if you go to a football game and you buy a light stick and there are two tubes inside of a plastic container, plastic tube, and you break the two tubes and the chemicals mix and they light up. Marcel invented that at the age of 11. Patented it himself. Marcel worked for IBM. 
the reason you and I have a computer today is because Marcel invented the magnetic coating that allows your hard drive to store information. Without Marcel, we wouldn't have that. Well, what Marcel showed us in that conference was he had a camera called a Delaware camera, a camera that you attuned just like you tune your radio. It wasn't just a, an aperture. You push the button, the aperture opens, and the light energy is, is registered on the photographic plate. But this Delaware camera was one where when you push the aperture, it, it, there was a tuning mechanism between the aperture and the, and the photographic plate. So if the, the tuning mechanism were tuned to an energy that was in front of the camera, what would show up on the camera? The photographic plate would be that an energy that it was attuned to. And he showed us that he could take a picture of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. So if I hold something that I push down and I push down and I push down, at the same time I'm pushing it down, I'm pushing it out into the world energetically. I'm adding impetus to it just like the spring. Every time it's pushed down, I put more potential energy into it. And that energy is a frequency that is determined by the source energy of whatever it is I'm shutting down. So if I, you know, the thing I most want in the world is for someone to cherish and honor me, and I'm enraged because I'm being dissed, then I'm pushing down this energy because I refuse to come into relationship with the root of being dissed, I send that energy out into the world and it becomes a request, an energetic resonating request for someone to come and diss me. And guess what's going to happen? Somebody's going to show up. Now, I have one of two choices when they show up. One, I'm going to live in the world of actuality and recognize that what's going on inside of me belongs to me, or I'm going to live in the realities of my mind, that is, that energy which this person who's come to diss me has resonated in me, the energy that I've dissociated from, I now, because they resonate that energy, build my perception, the picture that I paint on the inside of my eyeballs, out of that very energy. And so this person shows up in my mind with my problem attached, and I swear it must be their problem. But, of course, I'm the one who's feeling it. So that's called projection. So I deny, I hide the information, I dissociate from it, and now I project it. If I never learn how to collapse that projection, I'll never access that underlying energy. And ultimately, to heal, what I was shown in that event in the intensive was two things had to occur for healing to happen. One, love had to be conscious, active, and present. The state of active being had to be in me. And two, that which was hidden had to come to the surface, had to come out of hiding, had to come out of the unconscious. When you hear it said in the scriptures, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother, that isn't a bleeding heart statement that you're supposed to forgive your brother. It's saying that whatever in your brother has resonated in you that you've put into your brain's image of him or her and you've painted that on the inside of your eyeballs and you believe that you're actually looking out there, the energy of pain with which you've painted that picture on the inside of your eyeballs, you have to learn to access. How do you do it? This brilliant man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago said, here's it. That process is driven by your goal. So you cancel a goal. You collapse that projection. And now you're back into direct relationship with what you've hidden from yourself. What happens if love is present and that which is 
of trauma in you, again, whether it's from 20 generations ago and has been locked in your genes, all those generations, or whether it's from 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago. If I can open directly, come back into direct relationship with what I've hidden from myself, and love is present, whatever is not true, whole, and wholesome about the energy in me, my quote-unquote energy that's off the mark or sin, dissolves. That's all. The simple bottom line of it. And so in one case, there's reality, the output of the mind, the pictures painted on the inside of our eyeballs. The whole Greek language points everybody to that. Become brilliant about what's painted on the inside of your eyeballs and pretending that it's outside of you. The Aramaic is always pointing to the actuality of the moment. So when active present love meets any form of trauma, trauma begins to dissolve. You know, it's kind of like the transmutation that takes place. You know, I have a, I have a drop of water laying here on the, on the plate, and I take it out into the sun. Now, if I left that drop of water on the plate in a dark room, in two or three or four or five hours, it might evaporate. But if I take it out into the sun, very quickly the sun beating down on that plate will warm the plate, will warm the water, and cause a transmutation. The form of the water will change from liquid H2O to a gas, and it will disappear. It will dissipate. Now, it won't dissipate if I paint a picture of the sun on the ceiling in the dark room. It won't dissipate if I open a book with a picture of the sun on it and put it in front of the, the, the droplet of water on the plate. It will only dissipate if the actual heat of the sun is radiating down on the plate. In exactly the same way, we have this pretense, we have this false notion, we have this false definition of love, that it's something about sexual athletics or something about, about uh, self-sacrifice or, or all that stuff about sacrificing yourself to prove that you love. You know, gee, she says to him, would you die for me? Oh, I would die for you. The real question is, would you live for me? Would you function as a human being for me? And so one part of this practice that Yeshua's work in Aramaic is pointing toward is experiencing yourself and living truly as the presence of active love, living out of your created essence, rather than out of a false picture based on generational patterns of hostility and fear, which we all have in our generations. How many of us can say there was somebody in our bloodline that could have the conversation about healing and understood what healing meant and engaged in the process? I haven't met too many people in our world today that had ancestors that even had a clue that that was possible. And I include myself and my own, my own ancestors. So entering into a practice Yes, we're going to work with the manuscript. We're going to, quote, unquote, study the manuscript. But ultimately, it's not about the study. Explaining the why to the mind, explaining how the mind works, explaining how this whole process works, allows the mind to shut up. 
because the secrets are not hidden in the mind, they're hidden by the mind. When you hear Yeshua 2,000 years ago, they're saying, oh, tell us, tell us, tell us more. And he says, there are so many things I want to say to you, but you can't hear them. You don't have the brain cells for it, and you're not awake in being to hear it. So we want to bring correction to the mind. We're going to continuously point toward the actuality of the moment. And, you know, the mind's always saying, but tell me, tell me, tell me. Trying to tell the mind is like trying to put the cosmos in a walnut. Trying to take everything that the the uh, new web telescope is finding and fit it inside of a walnut. That's what trying to put the spiritual experience into the mind is like. So the mind ultimately must be laid aside for the experience to unfold. And, and everybody's trying to fix walnut. We're not going to make an effort to do that. We're only going to bring correction to what's in the walnut that covers over the experience and tries to pretend that it is or that it has the experience. It doesn't. Your mind doesn't have the experience. Your mind can't understand the experience. Your mind can't grasp the experience. It's not the source of the experience. It's the block against the experience. That's what led Paul, I believe, to say, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The mind is looking for the correction, but if, if one has not yet quit their membership in the one world universal religion of blame, then the correction is always about somebody else. But when you, who was it that said, get your bloated nothingness out of the way. Yeshua said, in order for you to live, you've got to die. The false self has to go, has to be removed. When the false self, the ego self, the self that is a product of the errors made, a self that's capable of hostility and fear, of vengeance and rage, that self is the self that needs to be healed. And once you start, you learn to collapse the projections of the mind, then you come to realize rather than your mind pretending to be the experience, that you are the experience. When you get it out of the way, you experience the fact that you are the correction, you are the presence of love that brings that correction. And so that's everything that the Kaburis manuscript that the teachings of Yeshua is pointing toward. And the entire manuscript was written in the Aramaic language, which was the tongue of Yeshua. It was written in a script called a stranglia. And it was specifically developed by a school called the School of Edessa to record these teachings. And the 
the school developed the vowel points that enhance the understanding of the Aramaic language of the, the pronunciation of the, the language is a, is a very is a language that is consists of very few words and so emphasis on words the way that words were spoken and ultimately they became they used markings you, you'll remember there's a point where it says nobody would even change one jot or tittle of the scriptures well it would be nice if that were true and the jot or tittle are those smallest characters in the Aramaic let me just turn to a file that I opened this morning let me get my hand on this and I had looked for this the other day but had difficulty finding it and I did find it this morning when I was doing some research So there's a translation. You can go and get yourself a copy of it and look it up called the Net Bible. And this is this is one specifically you can go look at in writing, you know, while the people who are playing with it, the, the, the kind of, you know, evangelical teaching says that not one jot or tittle will be changed. It is the literal inerrant word. But let's listen to the introduction to the second edition of the Net Bible. And what they do is they provide a list of the changes that were made in this new edition. And then, quote, here's what they say. Important key passages were revised to make the translation more consistent and acceptable with the mainstream of evangelical views and thus more acceptable to the check it out it's in writing <laughs> the acknowledgement oh well this didn't conform to our beliefs so we changed the text to conform with our beliefs and and what what that means is you had a mind that was structuring realities constructs and it wanted a teaching that conformed with its constructs Instead of being called out to say, oh, there's something in error in your mind that needs correction, it's like, no, we'll change the text so it reflects our beliefs. The objective of this work from the Aramaic is to fully, completely, totally, 1,000% honor truth, and wherever it leads, whatever it brings to own that what's moving in my physiology belongs to me and if there's disturbance that needs correction, I need to do the work of correction rather than change the text that I say is directing my life. And of course, this is just one admission in this net Bible. On and on and on goes the list. So in order to preserve the accuracy of the writings from the Aramaic, this particular school developed these markings that corrected or, or conveyed the pronunciation of the vowels in each word. So these vowel points were added for clarity of pronunciation and meaning. 
And then, of course, we move from Greek. You know, it's taken from Aramaic. There are those who will say, no, the, the Shitta text was translated from the Greek. No, it was not. All you have to do is look at meanings to verify that for yourself. But it went from Greek to Latin, Middle English, and then Modern English. And, and as that happened, the nuances of the Aramaic just kind of disappeared. And there are many concepts in the Aramaic that we will be working with and unfolding that it literally takes a whole paragraph to attempt to put it into the English language. Because language, the, 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 the common belief is that language conveys meaning. Language only conveys a specific set of brain cells that are firing in the individual using the language. So if I have a set of brain cells firing, I'll use certain words that I believe reflect that which is firing in my brain cell structure. But if you have different brain cells in you, firing in you, then you cannot hear what I'm saying. Your listening comes from your brain. Just like pain, distress, symptoms come from the brain, not from the body, listening comes from the body. Realities are products of what's firing in the mind. So we're going to work to develop the brain cells so that we can more accurately understand what was firing in the brain cells of the man who delivered these words and in his native language, what did these words mean? And as you develop that, all of a sudden, those concepts become totally, completely clear. And what, for me, what I've found over the the decades of working with the Aramaic, and it takes time. It's not, it's not something somebody's going to, oh, I'll have that all in hand by tomorrow. Then the teachings that, that Yeshua put forward in the Aramaic become simply applicable in your life and sensible, logical, where you live. It's not about Sunday morning. It's not about church. It's not about churchianity. It applies at every instant of your life. And, and in engaging it, it supplies you with the ability to function wholly, fully as the correction, fully as the presence of love in your own mind. And when your mind is serving up, is distracting with something that is less than love, then what is conveyed from the Aramaic is that you have work to do in order to clean up your own mind, in order to open the space that you can arrive in your own mind as the correction for what perhaps has been going on for your, in your bloodline for generations and generations. And in particular, we're going to change totally and completely the meaning of the word love and forgiveness. Forgiveness, you know, I've been working with that one for... 43, 44 years, I've had several people over the years who said, well, why don't you just create another word for it, Michael, instead of trying to correct that one? Because when you're working with brain cells and you're working with the mind's foundation, if you don't correct, 
the associations that mine have with the word, it will never be able to hear anything that leads to any sort of relationship with truth. So forgiveness, we now know, does not mean I'm going to let you off the hook for the pain that's moving inside of me, as the Greeks would say. You know, well, they hurt you, but you just forgive them. You be big about it. Never forgive anybody ever again. And you never will do that once you understand forgiveness from the Aramaic. You'll give up the whole idea that, that any form of forgiveness is needed in the sense of you being let off the hook or them being let off the hook, that God's going to forgive you. It's never going to happen because that's got nothing to do with forgiveness. It's been totally and completely turned backward. So in the Aramaic, when Yeshua speaks about forgiveness, he's talking about collapsing the constructs of your own mind, the pictures painted on the inside of your eyeballs, accessing the underlying dissociated trauma and processing through that trauma so that correction is given to the mind, that your presence as love brings correction to mind or if you can't do that that you've got someone that you can support you that you can rely on that can help you to process through those things that need correction but an even more difficult word and you know in the early days it was difficult to get people to understand what I was talking about with the the change in the 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 going back to the correct meaning or the Aramaic meaning of forgiveness but it's even more difficult with love and that's what the Aramaic points to, is this, this the coming to the actual experience of yourself as being the actuality of the presence of love. And there's such confusion in the way that the world uses this word love. I love you. You should love me. I only want to be loved. Oh, please love me. That's all falsity. And once you bring correction to your mind, what you're asking your mind to do is to support you experiencing yourself as the being that you are rather than experiencing yourself as a product of what's happened to you in the past, what's gone on in your generational bloodline, and the power person messages that come from, have come to you. So we're looking to bring clarity to those things, a hundred other things as well, but they're two of the core ones. So we're going to enter into, if you're, if you're with me in the text, we're on page four, the last paragraph on page four, and the, the idea is to enter into a similar thing that in the Jewish tradition was called Midrash, which meant people would come together and and I would change the word here from study, but interact with the scriptures and in so doing, refine one's ability to bring correction to their own minds. Rather than entering into a study that says, I want to put into my intellect the correct information. You don't want to put, well, it won't hurt to put the correct information into your mind, but what you really want to arrive at is a correct in, in, interpretation, a correct understanding, and a correct experience of yourself free from the mind. You know, oftentimes over the years, if you've ever been in one of the uh, classes that I've done where I've, I've uh, been presenting to a group that works for the Course in Miracles, You'll remember that I'll get up in the front of the room and I've got a, usually got a four-by-eight whiteboard and I'll write on the whiteboard 
don't study a course in miracles. And here, this is, here I'm presenting, you know, I'm in Bellingham, Washington. I'm presenting to a group that's been for 10 years been studying a course in miracles. And I show up and say, don't study a course in miracles. They're like, what do you mean? We're, that's what we're here for. And now what you're here to do is to print a study. No, no. Learn forgiveness. Course isn't about getting a proper set of concepts to put in your mind so that now you can be the experience of who you are. You need not seek for love. You need only seek, find, and forgive all of the barriers within yourself that prevent you from experiencing yourself as the correction. That weaken every power person message that you were ever given that you're deficient, that you're broken, that there's something wrong with you. Or there's something outside of you that causes pain. And so this, this next thought, you know, in Western culture for many centuries, access to the Bible was limited to the clergy. And if the clergy were about doing their work, about not about studying the book, if they'd gone to a seminary where they were about doing their work, then they came back more capable of facilitating people, experiencing themselves as love, and using words for the only thing words can be used for, and that is to point out the error of the mind and open space for the presence of love, for the actual and, and this is a, an important part of the practice, that you actually spend time cultivating yourself, your relationship with yourself as the presence of love and being able to bring that light forward. Not a picture of the light painted in your mind, like, you know, the picture of the sun pointing down on the, uh, the plate with the water droplets on it. The actual presence of the sun is needed. The presence of the heat is needed. The presence of the transmuting energy of the sun is needed in order for that water droplet to accelerate its evaporation. The presence of your human beingness, your light, your presence of love is what creates a transmutation of anything and everything in you, correction. And so that's the direction we're heading in. That's what we want to do with this. We're calling it a study, but really it's not a study. It's, it's moving into the practice of the work of Yeshua. You'll remember that particular passage where there's a group of disciples that say, what do we need to do? What do we need to do in order to please the Creator? And he tells them, gives them a parable. And half of his audience say, too hard a saying, and they leave. This manuscript is about, and what we're entering into, the approach we've taken to it over the last five decades has been to wring from it the understanding of the how-to and to engage in the tools. So we're at the top of page five, if you're with me in the manuscript. 
and the manuscript mentions Dr. Yonan and Dr. Dan McDougald. Dan laid a foundation for this work using the rules of evidence as an attorney to determine the veracity of information. You know, in the in the Western world, in the legal field, there's a, a method that was used for determining whether information was accurate or not that came into the courtroom. They called them the rules of evidence. We're hearing great abuse in the in the public world about the rules of evidence. Oh, you know, the judge wouldn't let me say this. Well, yeah, the judge wasn't interested in creating a platform for you to spew your puke on everybody. The judge was interested in having information given about the matter at hand. And so Dan utilized that methodology, the rules of evidence, for determining what got into this translation work. And the whole objective was to come to an understanding of the first century meanings of Yeshua's Aramaic words. And, you know, this particular idea is that with which he was able to drive out demons. And in Aramaic, demon would be, a, a translation would be the the mental aberrations, the denial, the dissociation, the projections of the mind. They originally worked with the text called the Yonan Codex, and it was incomplete, so they found, they, they, Dan funded and, and took an expedition to the Middle East and found this particular Kaboris that we're working with. It's named the Kaboris because it was found on the river Kabor in northern Iraq. And that area was basically the foundation point of the uncovering of the Aramaic language today. So the objective was not to translate words. If you've seen that movie, Lost in Translation, you know, our whole workshop, communication, did you hear what I think I said is founded on this principle? If I use words to represent certain brain cells in me that don't match what's moving in you, then I have not communicated. And most people rarely use words for communication. Most people use words to get what they want. To use words for communication is, you know, in, in my attempt to transfer, I have a reality in my mind. I have a structure in my mind, a construct, an understanding from my work over the years with these tools. And what I'm looking to do to the best of my ability is to get that construct intact into your mind so that the same tools are available to you as we've developed with this work. So we didn't look to translate words, we looked to decipher their first century meanings. It gives a whole new life to the teachings of Yeshua. You know, one of the key concepts, and we brought this one up before, but this one is a good one to be reminded of often. When they said, what's most important? He didn't say, love your neighbor. Total misuse of the word love. But rather, 
have this condition in your mind called Rachma open. And once you realize that, then a whole different experience can come because you understand that there is a gateway in your mind. There's no such idea in the in the English language. But in the Aramaic, what Yeshua was saying was, if you want, you know, in response to that question, it's like, what's most important in the law? What, what, what comes first? Law, again, is another word that's been distorted. Law isn't the rule of a superior in Aramaic. Law is just the way it works. So what people are asking is, in order for me to function fully as a human being, as the active presence of love, what's, what do I have to do? What, what does it take? And what he said in Aramaic is, Again, this is our our best use of words to try to represent what a single word in Aramaic meant, is there's a gateway in the frontal lobes of your brain, and when it's open, your created essence, love, will be present in your physiology, and that's the transforming power. That's the sunshine that you are that will transform everything in you that needs correction. But you've got to show up in your own mind. You can't allow your mind to structure realities based in its unresolved hostility and fear and blame everybody else for it. And you'll see that uh, the, the course that Dan created, Emotional Maturity Instruction, is referenced here. Dan created that out of the early Aramaic work. And when I met Dan, and we found that we'd been traveling similar, you know, Dan had created Emotional Maturity Instruction, and, and he was a lawyer, I had created and been teaching under the title of Lessons in Living. I actually had started a school program in uh, in uh, Delray Beach, Florida at the Unity School there. It still goes on today, at least the last time we were down there, I don't know, it's maybe five or six years ago, the, uh, the course was still being taught, and I started that when my kids were small. You know, my son was probably five, so that's... Uh, four, five, he's now 44, so it's 40 years ago. So I was doing lessons in living. And so when Dan and I met and found we've been traveling similar paths, his from a legal perspective, mine from a naturopathic medical perspective, we put it together, we brought nutrition into it, and we ended up with laws of living. What, In order to live as a human being, what does it take on every level? And you know, ultimately you have to be holy. Now, of course, we've got a meaning from the Greeks about holy. You're supposed to be down on your knees with your hands folded, right? Then you're holy. Well, I'll tell you what. Some of the most abusive, vicious minds I've ever seen sat around with their hands folded and pretended to be holy. It's not what it means. It means that you are in harmony with the way this energy system called life works on every level in your thoughts, in your words, in your intentions, in your perceptions. Having Rachma active, a filter in the frontal lobes of the brain that keeps the mind on track with love and brings love into your human form. Having Kuba active, a second Aramaic word, kind of corresponds with Rachma, but it's a filter over the back part of the brain, the perceptual part of the brain, that keeps your perceptions on track with love. And from that, when that's aligned, your words are in alignment with love. The energetic dynamics move within yourself. And there's no need to go run off and drug yourself with some sort of 
junk food sold by the culture, addicted by the fast food industry that puts together different combinations of salt and fat and sugar and calls it food, but rather you know what food actually is and you're attracted to and you eat actual food, that which brings the energetic elements in that your structure needs to function fully, wholly. Nothing to do with being down on hands and knees. Nothing to do with piety. So Dan and I put together emotional maturity instruction with my lessons in living and came up with laws of living. And if if there's a sufficient interest, we usually teach it each year at Heartland. And since COVID struck, we haven't been doing Heartland. So that's kind of uh, uh, been, it's now been what, since 2019, so almost five years. However, uh, there, there has been some call from several people to perhaps do an online Laws of Living course. So if you're interested in that, let us know. And if there's enough interest, we'll put it forward. We had put forward, there, were some, some, uh, there was some conversation about people who were interested in doing an intuitive development, but the interest has to be there for us to move forward with it. So if you're interested in that, let us know. So the, the text here on bottom page five goes on to explain how Dan had left the manuscript with the Western Rite Syrian Orthodox Church, and the objective was to preserve the work that he'd done and bring it forward. And when the archbishop and one of the bishops of the church were given the manuscript since I'd worked with Dan for so long they approached me and it was interesting that they when they approached me they shared that the Western Rite Syrian Orthodox Church had been started in America to bring this understanding that was available through the Aramaic language the the bishop of that church Donald Jolly Gabriel was a native Aramaic speaker. His family system was native Aramaic. However, they had difficulty. They'd been in America for several decades, and with the work that Dan and I had done, when I they actually the, the bishop and the archbishop came to intensives at Hartman, and they're like, this is what we were sent here to do 50 years ago, and you're doing it. And so we began to work together, and that is what ended up putting me into a deeper relationship with the uh, the Kaboris and with this work called Enlightenment. And there's a note here, and you might, if you want to uh, look at a little deeper at some perspectives on this, I had actually started a book, and it's kind of been on hold for a couple decades now, called The End of Suffering, Resurrecting the Original Aramaic Yeshua. We have, um, there's a minister at Unity in Sarasota, Don Jackson, bless his heart. He's left his body now. But he was very engaged in studying with me, and I spoke there at Unity often. And I was working on this book, and so he and I did a workshop on a particular Sunday afternoon about, geez, I don't even know, 20 years ago now, 15 years ago, whatever it was. And uh, we did a reading of those first two chapters, and the book is a conversation between, much like Why Is This Happening to Me Again, 
where why is this happening to me again is a conversation between myself and a character in the book the end of suffering is a conversation between Yeshua and a character and this character is asking Yeshua to clarify the meaning so if you go to whyagain.org and I'm sure Jeannie since I've mentioned this is probably already putting it in the uh, in the notes there's a link there you can listen to Don and I we did a Sunday afternoon workshop where he played the character and I read Yeshua's part and we uh, put forward that uh, those first two chapters and so if you want to give a listen to that you might find that useful in the work that we're doing here and again the objective here is to do the work of this manuscript not to study or get an intellectual picture of the manuscript and so we're now at let's see about eight minutes so what do you say if we've uh, we've aroused any questions that we just check and see Ms. Jeannie do we have anything happening in the phone queue or anything happening in the chat room with questions about where we're going with this it is all quiet um have several people even on podbean listening and uh awesome welcome everybody on podbean we're we're moving in the direction of learning to do more and more with podbean so hopefully that's going to become more functional for you and we'll be able to uh we're looking in, in fact if there's anybody out there that has the technical knowledge right now we're doing this show through uh, blog talk and Jeannie's actually got a microphone and recording it through Podbeam so you can listen there and it becomes more globally available if anybody's got the technical know-how it would be wonderful to uh, figure out a way where we can bring these two streams in together so we can record and converse in both mediums at the same time so that because one of the benefits of Podbeam you know on, on blog talk you have to have a US phone number or you have to pay for calling into the show uh, on blog talk but with Podbeam from within Podbeam if you've got that on your phone you don't have to make a phone call you don't use cell minutes you just click and and we can have a conversation on Podbeam but we don't have those two streams connected yet if anybody's got any technical know-how and would be willing to assist us with that that would be awesome so if you're out there in listener land we've just got a few minutes uh, hopefully this conversation has stirred some things for you and or if you've got anything going on in your world you know our objective here yes we're going to be covering this whole manuscript and it will go hand in hand with the conversation about doing one's work so if questions come up about any of the tools about the worksheets or any part of it if anybody's doing the codependence to interdependence uh, communication practicum we're here to support you with questions and so if you have any difficulty any challenges any support needed with any aspect of your work uh, regarding these tools that's what we're here to do and so if you're out there in listener land and you're on one of those stations where we can't see you our call-in number is 563-999-3581 and so if you're out there and you we're, you're on one of those stations where we can't see you okay if you call that number you'll be listening to the show directly 563-999-3581 and then if you push one it raises a hand just like Jeannie just said and we'll get to talk to you so let's say hello all right uh it's Dusty 904 you're on the air well, welcome well hello, How hello. Do you mean? Well, Aloha. I'm doing better and better. Thank you, Muchley. How about you? 
Sweet. I'm rocking, doing well. I had an oh. awesome weekend. I went and studied with a, a man who's a master at uh, at working with the, the body end of, of things, and it was, a, it was just a really oh, sweet weekend. Oh, good. I remember you told me you were going to do that. I'm glad that turned out yeah. so well. It, and, was, uh, it was awesome. I, I know we're running out of time real quick here, so I wanted to say you mentioned earlier about demons, and uh, and I want to ask you, what Aramaic uh, for that means, but before I want I want to say that I had um, this is in the Tibetan uh, way of thinking at one time. Uh, somebody carved a little monk carved a, a little skull out of a cuckooing nut I had around my neck as a necklace, and the skull had a big smile. I mean, it was, it was you know, you should have been scary, but instead it had this big smile. And the, uh-huh. the phraseology was compassion, even for mm-hmm. the demon. Right. And so on that, what, uh, what, with what time's left, what do they say about that in Aramaic, the, the demonic thing? Well, my take, my understanding would be that you know the ancient minds. You know they thought that you know when the the lightning storm came and they were damaged, they must have sinned and offended a god, and that God was getting even with them for what they'd done. And so there's a whole fear-based game that goes on and hallucinations about these creatures that are out to get us in the creation and all the evil things. When oh, yeah. in Aramaic the word evil has two meanings. One word is unripened; it's incomplete which, as we've talked about before, has to do with goals. And the other meaning relates to sin. You know, if I fired at the target on the archery range and I missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell sin. If I missed the target altogether, the scorekeeper would yell out evil. So it's like toting completely off target. And what we create when we're off target is an absence of the presence that we're designed to be that we come to identify with something that's just totally out of alignment with who we are. So it's not about, and, and, and you know, those who are, my take is those who are card-carrying members of the committed, devout, one-world religion of blame have got to have something or somebody. If they can't see it, well, they make up a god that, you know, created the lightning strike that burned the barn because they sinned. They've got a demon. They've got some sort of critter that's out there that's going to get them. Where in Aramaic, it had to do with states of mind. It was talking about what we were dealing with within ourselves. It wasn't about some evil creature out there. And there are societies that have created personifications of those things uh, and the real meaning behind them at least, again, my best understanding, is when I'm willing to bring that energy that I've dissociated from in myself to the presence of love, it dissolves, correction occurs, and the so-called demon disappears. It's called forgiveness. My take is the only reason that our world has poverty, disease, suffering, death, divorce, murder, war, is people do not understand how to remove the demons, the unresolved pained energies within themselves from their generations, and therefore create out of deficiency, create out of fear. 
you know, probably the greatest atrocity done to us as human beings and that we've bought into is that we've had hidden from us the fact that we are by nature creators. We're setting the game up. Or the essence of my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? People through their whole lifetime are like, well, gee, I'm back to this same pattern. Why is this again, again, again? Why? Because you're a creator. It's not what's going on out there. It's what you're creating. And the objective of forgiveness is to access the underlying dynamic of the creations that you say, I don't want to do this anymore. Bring them to the presence of love so they are transmuted, dissolved, and disappeared. Does that make sense? Did we lose you, Dusty? You what's that? Oh, oh I, I couldn't hear your voice. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, let me see. The, 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 I think, I think I'm on speakerphone. Okay, well, we're past that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks a lot, and I appreciate that because every culture's got that, I guess. I mean, I, in fact, I, I believe every culture's just got about the all of us are walking around with that crawling on all over us, and nobody wants to look or feel or deal with it. Yeah. Some yep. people do, and the ones that do are they're the brave ones. They're the they're they're the warriors. Well, I think also that once we we have an idea, it can be done. You know, I think one of the things that happens is people try and try and try and try without a foundation, without a basis, of, without real knowledge. They try, and everything they've tried, nothing they've tried has worked, and so they go, of course, this can never be done. And the truth is, it can all be done. It just takes having the ability to bring the presence of love forward, you know, to be the sun that we were designed to be and the the trauma world dissolves and dissipates and disappears individually and collectively. Yeah. Yeah, that's really sad when someone tries but they don't have the tools or the reference to um to facilitate that effort. Um, I'm glad you have this program it so gives it us help facilitate. Yeah. And it definitely gives us the opportunity to uh, to forgive that sadness. Yeah, there you go. And uh, all right, my friend, appreciate you. Okay, you too. It just yelled in my ear that we're complete, so it's going to cut us off. All right, you have a blessed one. Lots of love. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye bye.